0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: At 114 pages and a couple of dozen recommendations, the National Academy of Public Administration has laid out a detailed plan for getting the Office of Personnel Management out of first gear. Federal employment wonks liked what they saw, but they worry the recommendations will go the way of past attempts at major change in the civil service that is nowhere. Former OPM executives and advocates say they're not convinced anyone has the political clout, time or willpower to see the NAPA recommendations through. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now with the latest. And that's kind of a grim assessment of where this thing might go. But history is prologue, I guess. So tell us what you're hearing about this report and now that people have had a time to read it and react to it.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a sense of relief, Tom, that the Academy really honed in on one message And that's that, one, the federal workforce needs more attention. Someone has to pay attention to it. And two, that OPM is really the agency, the entity to do that, and that it should be the federal government's independent personnel organization and the president's top advisor on personnel issues. But. I think what we're seeing at this point is there are a lot of people out there who have a long memory of past attempts at changes to civil service. And for them, this really looks quite familiar at this point. Ron Sanders is one of those people. He is a former Federal Salary Council Chairman, OPM Executive, and Intelligence Community Chief Human Capital Officer. He's now the Staff Director of the Florida Center for Cybersecurity at the University of South Florida.
2: Deja vu all over again. And it's not just deja vu all over again, once, twice, or three times. We have been down this path innumerable times. You know, so one has to wonder, will this make any difference? That's the question I have.
0: That's Ron Sanders, who's had a variety of positions in the federal government and I think his statement kind of perfectly sums up what a lot of people are feeling about this report. No one's doubting, you know, the will of the new administration. But I think at this point, it's too early to say what exactly it'll do with these recommendations. You know, OPM does have to respond. It has a couple more months to do that. And I think it's also too early because OPM doesn't have a confirmed director just yet. And so, There is a nominee, but she hasn't gone through the confirmation process. It's unclear at this point what her specific vision will be. Janice Lachance is a former OPM director who served during the Clinton administration.
2: OPM is going to need partners to move forward. First of all, any kind of recommendation such as improving technology or improving the way you give advice to agencies
0: And not charging them, not expecting reimbursement, that's going to cost money. So you need friends within the administration that you're operating in, but you also need very, very strong partners on Capitol Hill who are willing to advocate and speak up for
2: OPM.
1: And that's former OPM director Janice Lachance. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. And so, Nicole, with people liking what they're seeing in the report, why all this pessimism, especially when, as you say, the Biden administration, by all of its gestures so far, would seem to be on board with this kind of reform?
0: So, Tom, it's pretty simple. It's Congress. Um, you know, Congress has a big role to play in implementing these recommendations. First of all, it's the funding issue. OPM needs more funding. Right now, it draws funding from a couple of different sources. One is appropriations. Another is its revolving fund. And it uses the fees that it gets from uh, the HR services that it provides to fund a whole bunch of parts of the agency. And, you know, NAPA said that's not really a great model. It's not a great model if OPM actually wants to finally modernize some of its IT systems and retirement services. And so there's the funding issue. But, you know, NAPA also suggested a lot of statutory changes as well. And that's going to require some time and effort. And I think the concern is that there isn't time. And those who might be interested in this, there's just so few of them. You know, I spoke to Dan Blair. He is a former OPM deputy director and served in various roles on the old House Post Office and Civil Service Committee. And that committee had dozens of hearings and markups that led to the 1978 Civil Service Reform Act. But that committee is gone. And all of those topics are stuffed into that House Oversight and Reform Committee, which has a really huge jurisdiction and a lot of oversight issues to tackle. Plus, that committee, I mean, you know, for better or for worse, is often driven by headlines of the day. And so that's a concern as well. You know, Blair says that the way the committee structure is currently, it's not really conducive to sitting down and looking through that 114-page report and actually coming up with legislation that it can get through the House and the Senate.
1: Sure. They don't even read their own bills.
0: Sometimes. Yeah. Again, you know, there was a mention of partners and there are certainly partners out there. I would say the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association is one of them. They're going through the NAPA report. They're trying to figure out, okay, what do we need Congress to do? What could the administration do on its own? And I spoke with Jessica Clement. She's the staff vice president for policy and programs there. And she says, we really only see Congress act when we're in a crisis. And she says, unless we can get the point across that federal human capital is in crisis none of this is going to be addressed. And she says everyone agrees this is a problem, but no one seems to agree it's a problem enough to fix it.
1: And as you point out, Nicole, there are some prescriptions for Congress to alter Title V in that report. But NAPA also had a lot of recommendations for what OPM could do on its own. Do people think they can carry that out?
0: So I think so. Again, I think a lot of it will depend on the new OPM director and her specific vision. You know, I think it's encouraging that the Biden administration really has sent some messages so far on its views on the federal workforce that, you know, at least respects the federal workforce. And so there's a belief that that's a start. But there's also a sense that OPM itself needs to kind of go through its own culture change. You know, NAPA recommended that OPM oversee all personnel systems, not only Title V.
1: That's right. And they put the word all in italics and boldface.
0: Right, right. And so I think a lot of people like that recommendation, but it's going to take some work for agencies to feel comfortable with that. Here's Sanders again.
1: And I will
2: tell you, as uh, a person that oversaw A major subset of that, uh, the intelligence system, the uh, personnel systems that cover the intelligence community, I would be fighting that tooth and nail. Because OPM has to earn that trust. Right now, they are viewed with suspicion by agencies. The culture needs to change. But if you change the culture, then agencies are going to be more willing to look to OPM for
0: leadership. But you can't
2: put the cart before the horse and try to mandate that leadership
1: by law. Well, that's some tough love.
0: It sure is. And, you know, that's coming from someone who's worked at OPM and someone who's had a variety of different roles in the federal workforce. You know, I also spoke to Mark Robbins, who uh, served as OPM's general counsel during the Trump administration and of course Tom, as you know, he's a former vice chairman for the Merit Systems Protection Board and you know he says OPM's actually more nimble than you might think when it comes to culture change. He mentioned the agency's transition from the Civil Service Commission to OPM back in 1979. He mentioned the back and forth constantly over security clearances in the mid-2000s and again right now, But he says, you know, it's not really going to work unless OMB is a cooperative partner in this as well. And of course, that's another criticism of the NAPA report. Having a OPM director who was also the deputy director for management has not worked. And Robbins was pretty clear about it. He said, to use his phrase here, it didn't work for Austria and Hungary, and it doesn't work here with OMB and OPM. And he went as far as to call it dumb and short-sighted.
1: Well, <laughs> that's a tough one. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out our story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA.
3: Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I, think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others and this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government its over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government both at the top and the middle ranks and what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history find those moments in time when They were changed. They were inspired. They learned something about leadership from another person. Perhaps it was uh, from themselves. And they brought that to the workplace. And they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership. But what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, Today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors and it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them? to the next best place. So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit, different than it is in the private sector. Uh, My father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've led, this is my second, a major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime, and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service.
0: Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffel Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely.